1: Please like, share, review, and subscribe to Relentless Truth. You can find us wherever you get your podcasts. Or go to our website, johnwarrenmedia.com, for more information about our work. You can send along a comment there on our contact form, or you can email me at john at johnwarrenmedia.com. Well, my guest today is Catherine Berger. You might be familiar with her from the American Gospel Films, where She and her family are featured. Her husband, Russell, was a guest on this podcast months ago, and it is just an honor to have her here. Catherine, welcome. It's so good to have you here.
2: Thank you so much. It's great to be here. I'm looking forward to talking with you.
1: Well, I typically share the bio of my guests, but this audience that has been with me, at least for the duration, has heard. Something of your story and Russell's story from Russell, but your bio is actually our topic today, so I, I will simply say this. I, My wife and I watched the first American Gospel film, and you've probably heard this more times than you care to hear it, but we, we watched the American Gospel film not really knowing what to expect, and that was back when it was just on disc and a friend uh, on DVD, a friend just sent it to me or gave it to me or something and and we watched it and we just sat there speechless at the end crying over the burger family story it was told well i would encourage this audience if you if you if you say what in the world is the american gospel film or what is agtv this streaming service that features the american gospel films plural now i would encourage you to uh to take a look and and Catherine, your story was compelling and so, my friends will roll their eyes when when they hear me say this because they know this is how I'm wired. I reached out uh, via social media messenger and said, "Hey, your story was really compelling, and we're praying for you." And shockingly, uh, in spite of your health issues, you uh, responded so so graciously. And and so yeah, and so you know, several years later. This podcast. I uh, start this podcast, and I asked you. I hesitated to, uh, because of the health issues, your health issues, and uh, I, I asked you if you would you would come on. And you uh, almost immediately said yes, and uh, and here we are a few months later, and I, I'm just uh, delighted that you're here. Uh, I'm gonna. I'm, you know, I'm really gonna just ask you one question and and then we, we can just talk like old friends and i i don't know where you want to start in telling your story uh, i have the advantage of feeling like i know you well even though i don't but yes. <laughs> but uh, i'm wondering if you would just talk about katherine berger and you can you can go all the way back to your 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 birth and early family if you'd like or you can you can start wherever you want
2: sure sure thank you um yeah, I, I guess I, I would start with just, you know, I was not raised in a Christian home, um, though I do have wonderful mother and father and an older brother who I love very much, and, and I hope that all of them one day will, you know, come to believe and to follow Christ. But but it was not a part of my upbringing, um, so it was always something I felt sort of drawn to. I always wanted to go with friends to church. I, I like to read the Bible, even as young as you, ten or eleven years old. But I definitely was not a Christian. Did not dedicate my life to God in, in any way at that time, or for some time after. And in fact, you know, when I met Russell, neither of us uh, were Christians. Um, you know, I would have said. I guess you know I was very inclusive. You know, every, all of the religions probably are right. They all lead mm. to the same place. You know, yep. I always made you know God like me and would say you know I'd never send anyone to hell. So how could God? Yep. You know those those great arguments that that so many people um still you know strongly believe and and I I believe them. And it wasn't really until I began to have health problems. That Russell and I became Christians, and so that is one reason we are so thankful for the illness and for everything that has happened. And, and how was, long
1: ago? I'm sorry to interrupt, but how long ago was yeah. that? How how old were you, if you don't mind saying when so when it, when that happened? It was
2: 2010. So let me think. I'm 42. So I was about 30. Okay. I think that's right. right? <laughs> I do yep. my math. Yep. Yeah. So I was about 30, and I had had uh, Campbell, our our oldest daughter, who's 14 now, and Barrett is now 12. And I had very difficult pregnancies and complications. A lot of people who have underlying health problems were to find out, you know, during pregnancy and and childbirth. And that was certainly the case for us. Uh, You know, we found out uh, shortly after Campbell that it would be hard for me to have another child, probably not even safe. But we went ahead and did anyway, and I ended up on bed rest, had Barrett early, he was in the NICU, and then had to have a pretty major operation about six months after he was born. Mm. And it was actually during that operation, I was sent home with symptoms that very obviously pointed to something being wrong. I had a fever, I was, uh, you know, had a high heart rate, I was in a lot of pain. Um, But they sent me home, and when I got home, you know, I was kind of wandering around the house very out of it, but we assumed that was from medication. Um, but thankfully, we did return to the doctor after, I guess, two or three days, and it turned out I had been bleeding out internally that whole time. Mm-hmm. And so, um, you know, I was very close to death and um, probably had just a few more hours. And, I, you know, they said I would have gone to sleep and just never woken up. Mm-hmm. And, and it was during that process of receiving the blood transfusions that I, I'm not sure why. You know, I'd, had, I'd actually worked at the Red Cross and had a very good friend who, who very faithfully uh, told me about the gospel pretty much every week uh, for years.
3: Uh-huh.
2: <laughs> and, and I called her up you know, to tell her, I'm sitting here getting blood. Can you believe it? And for some reason, I just felt this huge, overwhelming peace. And I felt like I was getting more than just my physical life back, but something much much greater and and that was sort of the start of, of my sanctification and and you know coming to follow christ
1: wow and, yeah <laughs> and, and and how how long had you been uh home after delivering uh Campbell when you discovered how many days was that number of days or just hours before you? Yes,
2: yes. It was about three days. It was after I'd had a cert- sur- So I'd had Campbell and Barrett, um, but then I'd had to go back in and have a, a surgery where they did a hysterectomy and a bunch of other stuff. Oh, gotcha. Um, yep. Yep. And so that was, you know, about six months after Barrett was born and uh, was in the hospital a day or two and then home basically over the weekend and was just continuing to bleed out. And mm-hmm. um, I think I can't remember which one hematocrit or hemoglobin, but anyway, one of the numbers that's supposed to be real high was four. <laughs> Oh wow so and, yes, and, it was
1: and so it was- you, you talked to your friend and then uh you you eventually uh after the transfusion, you went home and then and then talk about that uh, talk about the uh, uh, health issues and how they hung around and can can you just kind of walk us through yeah. a little bit of that story?
2: yes, it was a a big change for us and a, kind of a huge shock. You know, Russell, as many people know, um, you know, was an Army Ranger. He's at CrossFit. He's always been very physically fit, very active. You think? Yeah. <laughs> and and I was too. And, and, you know, through dating and getting married, I started doing CrossFit. Uh, you know, we would run 5Ks together, you know, races. We were always doing things that were very athletic. Uh, we ended up starting a CrossFit gym in Alabama uh, when he got out of the Army. And so our life was very centered around sort of health, fitness, physical appearance, and performance. Mm. And so for me to go into, you know, I was pregnant with Campbell. I actually went into labor running. I was working out every day, teaching CrossFit classes, going to work, you know, going to the gym, doing another workout. I mean, really kind of overdoing it, to be honest. Mm-hmm. Um, because it was the idol in my life. And so to come home from having, I had a natural delivery with her because, you know, I wanted to get right back into working out and running and yep. doing all of that. Yep. And having things start to go wrong was just, it just shook us. You know, quite frankly, it, it took what was, it really was the idol and, and the most important thing in my life and took it from me very quickly. I wasn't able to exercise, you know I would try to get back to working out, you know, and then have to have another surgery or another you know and then I would have a complication and it just seemed like things could never get quite back to normal, and I was really struggling with how I felt, how I looked, you know my appearance, all of that, and I think having God come into my life and and really not just replace what I had idolized, but just totally blow it out of the water to where my life became so much more joyful, so much more fulfilling, despite the fact that I was often, you know confined to my bed or to the house, you know, not able to really get out. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it was a, it was a very big change, and especially with two really small children, you know, both under two years old. It was a struggle, but I feel like God met me every step of the way. And I was kicking and screaming a lot of the time, yep. but, but he would be there and he kept showing up and, you know, and, and sometimes it was even through the children. You know, I can think of Campbell was so cute. We would say her prayers at night and at the end she would say, well, what's God saying now? <laughs> <laughs> she wanted to know, you know, well, what is he saying?
1: Yeah, nothing and, like nothing like a toddler to uh to bring us right right
0: where we should be.
2: Right. Yeah. Yes, to ask that question, you know, what what and, and gosh, isn't that the question that some people really get stuck on and go too far yep. trying to find that answer. They want that personal message from God. Yep. Um well I took that and I can remember, you know, we were we were moving around for Russell's work and again, small children, health problems and I just can remember being so overwhelmed one day and feeling just like, like, honestly, like I can't go on, you know, I don't know if I want to live anymore. Um, Mm -hmm. It it was bad. And I remember writing in my journal and I still have it. I wrote to God and I wrote what I was so mad about. You know, you took everything in my life from me. How could you do this? You know, Mm -hmm. how could you leave me with nothing? And then I said, you know what? Do you, well, what's God saying now? Mm-hmm. And I wrote it with a lot of anger and maybe even a bad word. I can't quite remember. Yeah. <laughs> but, yeah. but it was it was pretty angry, and and I'll never forget though because it was shortly after that that I I wrote God humble me, use mm. what you have taken from my, like use what you have turned my life into to glorify you, to honor you. Help me be a better mother. You know, it was like everything in my life reoriented mm. toward him. And, no, no, and I think no, because because that
1: I, because I'm not a good like a like a uh, the the producers of the American Gospel film. You know, I don't I don't have this uh, uh, cutaway ability on this podcast. But here's here's what I want to know: How much had you been through when you got to that dark moment where you wrote that in your? In, in your journal, journal. Uh, how did, how, how much had you been through? How many, I mean, just describe Stabbing. it just briefly. Uh, how many surgeries yep. were you on medication? Uh, were you and, in bed most of the time? What'd that look like? I kind of know what that looked like from the films, but for those who haven't seen them.
2: yes, yeah, yeah. That's it's a great point because you would think, and, and I'll get to the point, you know, where I can say I've had, you know, 20 surgeries and almost died 10 times and everything. But honestly, this was fairly early on. And that's what's kind of humorous to me now, because I thought things were so terrible. But Mm -hmm. yet I was still, you know, we lived in Colorado. We had no family or friends living around us. So, you know, Russell was traveling a lot. I was able to care for the kids, you know, drive the car, go to the grocery store, you know, feed them. Mm -hmm. I helped out at Campbell's Preschool at a church, you know. I was actually pretty active and I had had that one surgery where I bled out and then I'd had to have another surgery to repair that. And then the surgery had started to kind of, I guess, for lack of a better word, come apart Mm -hmm. again. Mm -hmm. And so I knew I was looking at a third of the same surgery, but otherwise my health wasn't terrible, but I will tell you this. When I had bled out and had all these complications, I had hematomas the size of grapefruit around my intestines. Mm-hmm. And the pain was excruciating. Mm-hmm. And so the doctors put me on pain medication, which is reasonable and fine. But it was sort of during that time, this was 2010, and I actually was in pharmaceutical sales. So I can kind of actually, you know, put this with my work history and mm-hmm. see sort of the way the, Doctors were thinking at the time, and it was this kind of rebound effect from where they hadn't used pain medicines, where they were really giving it to everyone for everything. Yeah, which people probably can't even imagine because right now it's back the other way again. Right. Um. But I feel like they basically gave me a whole bunch of medicine, and then didn't really explain anything about the dependence that medic that medication could require. So or or cause I should say Mm -hmm. so you know, over time, even if you take something exactly as prescribed, you can't just quit taking it. I did not realize that. And so I abruptly stopped some pretty heavy pain medication, which sent me into some serious depression. I think, you know, in hindsight, uh, that was a big part of what, you know, made everything seem that much more difficult and that much more hard. That makes Um, sense. Yes. So I'm grateful for it. I'm grateful for the fact that that since then, I've had to be, you know, I remember saying, I'll never take pain medication again. Well, you know, have your stomach rupture. You will <laughs> take pain medication. <laughs> uh, but thankfully, you know, that's one area in my life where I just thank God over and over that I've had no problems with addiction, no problems with coming off and on, you know, medications as needed. Mm-hmm. And I am so thankful that, that those medications exist and that, God has allowed me to use them wisely and responsibly.
1: Now, at this point, had anybody told you, were they able to tell you what was going on with your body and why you were having no. these issues?
2: <laughs> no. And, and that was another probably, you know, when, when I think about the Bible and how often God, you know, tells us not to be anxious. I imagine another big part of my problem was the anxiety and the not knowing. You know, I, I still didn't know why I had gone from this relatively healthy person to someone who was just having all of these problems mm-hmm. freeing up. And it wasn't until I went in for the third surgery in 2000, either 2011 or 2012, and by then we'd moved to California, and I was at Stanford University, and a doctor looked at me and he said, I think you have a connective tissue disorder. And he sent me to their Marfins clinic and told me that I had Ehlers-Danlos syndrome, mm-hmm. uh, which at the time, at least, was extremely rare. It's maybe even overdiagnosed at the moment, but at that time, I had never heard of it, you know, had to kind of research it, but it explained a lot about faulty collagen and sort of, you know, affecting all of your organs and blood vessels and causing these organ ruptures and things, which had sort of happened with that first surgery and then would later happen, you know, a couple of years ago, my stomach ruptured spontaneously. Mm. So, but yes, so once I found out about the, the EDS, as they call it, um, you know, I started finding out that there were these coexisting conditions that could go along with it. I seemed to have a lot of them. And then my health, it was like every year, it would progressively get worse. Mm-hmm. And you know, I was having to have, you know, I had a brain tumor. I had to have removed. I had uh, several discs in my neck sort of collapsed. And I had to have a steel plate and things put in just a few months after the brain surgery. Mm. And then shortly after that, you know, I started having trouble swallowing. And then all of a sudden I was 80 pounds and needing a feeding tube. And then my intestines started to fail and just, you know, then it became one thing after another.
1: So your children have grown up with you, uh, progressing, getting progressively worse from a health standpoint, really? Yes. Wow.
2: Yes. And and, and they are—I think they're amazing at how well they handle things. No, honestly. No,
1: no question. <laughs> you see, yes. you see that in the American Gospel films so clearly.
2: Yes, and you know, this year alone, I was in septic shock, uh, three times, unresponsive, at home, having to be, you know, rushed to the hospital in the ICU, intubated. I mean, very serious things and yet my kids just last week were laughing about about hearing sirens and, and barrett said oh yeah i'll never forget the last time the ambulance came i mean they left the door wide open mom there were mosquitoes coming in
1: oh my goodness
2: <laughs> and campbell said yeah i learned to just roll over and go back
1: <laughs> wow
2: they were joking you know they were they were making light of it but they can and i'm so glad oh, i'm so terrific. glad yeah they,
1: yeah, but still, my goodness, can you I, I can't imagine. I'm sure people are thinking, Wow, that this already sounds like a lot for a person and a family to go through.
2: Yes. Yeah. And and like you said, for a, for a family to go through. Because so many people will say, I can't believe you go through that and I think, what about, you know, Russell and Campbell and Barrett who have to always be watching and wondering and witnessing these things versus me who at least is the one going through it. I don't know. For me, I feel like that's easier. I know exactly what you mean
1: by that. I do. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Because you've, you've been through something similar, Yeah. you know?
1: Yeah. I've talked about it on this podcast, uh, stage three colon cancer, but, but I have to say, Catherine, compared to your story, uh, I, 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 the surgery's kind of stacked up for me in one year. And I remember, I remember, um, you've probably had, uh, well, I know you have, uh, I don't know what they're called, but those lines where they give you drugs, is it pick lines or something?
2: Oh, yes. And, I have. I've had one for five years now. Okay.
1: Mm-hmm. Ha- have you had a, a port, like an IV yes. port? Okay. Uh, well, they got to the end of my process and, and uh, said, okay, well, you know, odds are the cancer might not come back now because you've endured six months of chemo. Let's take it, the port out. And I looked at my doctor, and I was so surgery weary, which uh, c- compared to your story, just makes me feel like a wimp and and i I said, "Could we do it in your office you know, like they do with a like a denti- <laughs> like a dentist does yeah. and he yeah. and he said, yes, we as a matter of fact, we can. I can just you know hit you with some lidocaine and take it right out." Well, I had no idea that they don't leave. surgeons are used to you you know, being asleep. So they don't have any bedside manner in the office. So no. he cuts me while I'm looking at my chest.
3: Oh, <laughs> I thought, that's wow, that,
1: that's really weird. That didn't hurt. And then he takes these things that look like, uh, the tongs for barbecues, you know, yeah. and, yep. and reaches in and grabs it and pulls it out. And here's this 20 <gasps> inch plastic line with blood dripping from it that he just pulled oh, out of God. my chest. He said, you feel, no, like, no. you feel okay. And I said, yeah, as a matter of fact, I do. And so,
2: oh, I'm impressed that you didn't even feel a little bit nauseous or dizzy from that. That's you know,
1: rough. <laughs> I'm, I'm not one of those people who has an issue with that. If you, if you do, you do, and, and there's not much you can do to overcome it. But but, I, but I'm but i wondering, you know, uh, the, in the American gospel films, they, they do such a good job of portraying the – it, it was the second one. Is that called Christ Crucified or something like that? Yeah, yeah yeah uh they you know you get to see the burgers living life a little bit more in that one mm-hmm. you know normal mm-hmm. life, and you just mentioned you know yeah the family goes through it, and I'm thinking as you say that, every person I know is going through something and and families just go through things not not even absent health issues, just life is you know we're on a fallen earth, and we could talk about the theology of all that, the implications of the fall or. Significant. How did you you and Russell deal with you know life coming at you fast, raising children? He, he's got a career. You're increasingly requiring more and more care. I I know Russell is and was very engaged in in all the things that you need to have happen around the house and with your health. But how'd you do it?
2: Well, you know, I feel like God baby stepped us into it, at least at the beginning, <laughs> you know, to where I sort of had to go from being the mom who, who, you know, did everything, a lot of the putting kids to bed and, you know, the mothering. And, and then when I had that brain tumor and had to have it removed and then, you know, just a few months later had that major spinal surgery. I remember laying in the room, or Russell and I's room, you know, one day, and it was day, because it was hard for me to get up and get out of bed and move around. And he was playing with the kids in the other room. And it hit me that I felt okay with it. And I felt like he was, you know, not that I was there just, you know, critiquing him. But I remember thinking, like, he's a good dad. He's doing a good job. Like, no, nobody needs me there right now. Mm-hmm. And I remember that being a really good feeling to know that like I could take the time to rest and, and get better. And I didn't have to, you know, insert myself into everything in the house all the time. Mm. And, and, you know, I think he slowly started to do more and more until I'll say about a year ago, it got where he was doing pretty much everything. I mean, whether it was picking out homeschool curriculum, helping the kids at school, he cooked all the dinners, went to the grocery store. I hadn't had a driver's license uh, in five years, mm. um, so I couldn't drive anywhere. And he was pretty much responsible for all three of us all the time. And when he got a job again, which was in uh, February, it sort of you know shifted things. And I am just amazed again at God's grace because I went from the, you know, I've been on palliative care, which if people don't know what that is, it's not hospice care. It's not, it doesn't mean that you have six months to live, but it does mean you have a terminal disease. They're looking at, you know, shortened lifespan and trying to make you comfortable. And so I began that about two years ago. And at that time they were thinking we were going to switch to hospice pretty quickly. And then I might just have about six months left. And so the fact that I'm here able to, to coherently have a, <laughs> at least I hope it's coherent. <laughs> yeah, very. <laughs> Phone interview, you know, is amazing uh, because for so long, it just seems like uh, with all the medications and all of the, there's just the ramifications of health where, you know, I've, I, I'm on basically IV fluids and IV nutrition through a central line into my heart, you know, 24 hours a day. Mm -hmm. And, you know, lugging that around and trying to heal and getting sepsis and septic shock and then recovering from that again. Mm -hmm. It just was impossible for me to really be involved. I feel like fully in anyone's life, even my own life seemed to be kind of just going by at times. Mm -hmm. And, It was after I had septic shock the second time and was in the ICU and they were having a really hard time giving me enough epinephrine to keep my heart and my blood pressure, you know, up. Mm -hmm. And they started decreasing some of those palliative care medications that I'd been on and they were all sorts of different things, whether it was for blood pressure or to lower blood pressure. I just, the more chronically ill you are, it seems like the more things kind of get stacked up. Yep. And this wonderful ICU doctor took a look at me and said, you know what, I'm going to take her off of this, paper this, slash this. And he cut several medications down to the point where, I don't know, it's like a switch in me. And I got home and I remember thinking, I'm going to get off the rest of this stuff as much as I can so that I can feel more present. You know, and obviously, if I needed it, I would keep it. I wasn't going to make myself you know, be an unbearable pain, but right. thankfully was able to taper things enough that I pretty much got off of almost every medication I was on, even mm. medications I was taking for blood sugar and diabetes. <laughs> I mean, really was able to reduce a ton of them. And then in April, after five years of not being able to drive, I got my driver's license back,
3: I which s- was I saw that. huge.
2: Yeah. <laughs> and, so, and I don't know if you can think, but to be an adult, and not be able to just be alone and drive yourself somewhere is a very strange thing.
1: Mm-hmm. Oh, and, I, and, I, I can yeah. imagine. I mean, I can only imagine. Uh, I, I don't know. I think it's hard for people who, I mean, it's impossible basically Catherine for anyone to fully relate probably to what you're saying. I mean, I, I hope this isn't jolting to anybody, but everyone I know who's ever had septic shock didn't survive it. Right. Um, uh, I mean, and you've had it three times this year?
2: This year, about six times in general. And I think I've had sex just like 14 times. <laughs>
1: so, wow. And, and tell everybody I what mean, that is in terms that we can okay. all understand. I know it's a—it's basically a poisoning of the blood.
2: Right. So you, you basically you start off with bacteremia, which is blood poisoning. And then your body, it's almost like it gets an inflammation or a reaction to the illness itself. Mm -hmm. And so it says, Oh my gosh, there's, there's bacteremia. We're going to flare up and, and try to kind of fight it, but it really doesn't fight it at all. And what it typically does is your white cells go sky high. Sometimes they go really low. You tend to start losing platelets, having a lot of bleeding or clotting. I mean, by one or the other, and then your blood pressure drops dangerously low. Your heart rate gets very high and you start running a very high fever. And so there's swelling of the brain. There can be, you know, where, like in my case, where I had to be intubated, my lungs weren't working, you know, I had edema, fluid in my lungs, fluid around my heart, just, you know, mm-hmm. your body starts to shut down, basically. Yeah, or, and I organs, believe major organs even start to shut organs, down. Major organs, right, yep. right. Yep. And like you said, in most cases, I think, especially when it advances into septic shock, which is typically where you do have the organ failure. I think something like twenty percent of people survive. Mm. So it is a it's a low numbers and and the same thing. You know, I was actually speaking with the head of our local hospital yesterday. They called me about something and and we were talking and she said, you know, I've never spoken to someone who who has as many missing organs as you. Still <laughs> 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 alive, and and I said, I know, but I bet you haven't ever spoken to someone who's had a ruptured stomach and live either because it's such a low number, something like 10% of people who, whose stomach rupture survive because it's just such an icky thing. Wow. Um,
1: what was the you pain? Know, to what rupture. was the pain like from that?
2: I wanted to die. Well, yeah. I mean, yeah, it, it was, it was, it was very bad and it's, it's kind of funny. I, I actually saw my hospital records from the ICU and before they figured out what it was, you know, their immediate thought for some reason it's always when people are in pain they must be seeking drugs. So the guy writes this thing and it's like she says she's still in horrible pain. He put it in quotation marks, uh,
3: like no. making
2: fun of me almost. And you know, but we've already given her more or whatever they give you after surgery. You know, so she should be fine. Well, about you know two hours later it says you know I'm being rushed to the uh, operating room and that's when they told Russell you know was doubtful I would make it. Mm because my stomach had ruptured. So, you know, but it's just one of those things that they, for some reason, did not think about. But I had a 15-centimeter gaping hole (laughs) in my stomach that was just completely dead necrotic tissue. Um, They don't, you know, don't know why. (laughs) Mm. And so it ruptured. And then I did lose, you know, the rest of my intestines pretty much. So now I had to take out two-thirds of my stomach, my gallbladder, my large intestine and all but four inches of my small intestine. Wow. So not much left there.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, and you talk about it so comfortably. I'm thankful that you do. I I know this audience is probably gasping. I'm wondering, I'm wondering if you could just summarize the, well, I want to go back is EDS still what they believe to be the underlying cause of most of these issues.
2: You know, they've never been able to say for sure. I, I feel like it, it most likely is at least some part of it. Mm-hmm. But they also, one of the major breakthroughs we had was we found out I had something called stiff person syndrome and hereditary angioedema. Oh, and
1: I know, know what that the, is. Yeah.
2: Yes. Yeah, so the hereditary angioedema, if anybody has ever followed me on Facebook or maybe seen some of the pictures on American Book, they might be like, "Gosh, that girl looks different all the time. Well, there were times where I would swell uh, in the hospital and in a few days put on 70 or 80 pounds
3: of fluid.
2: And I only weigh 100 pounds. So Mm. we're talking almost my entire body weight again. Mm. And so, you know, my face gets grotesquely swollen, you know, my abdomen would swell and I would, um, you know, lose blood flow to organs. And that's what did a lot of damage in my intestines, they think, was the intestinal angioedema mm-hmm. where, you know, I'd have an allergic reaction and my stomach would swell. It looked like I was pregnant with triplets. And when they finally figured it out and gave me the correct medication, which is um, basically it's like a C1 esterase inhibitor, whatever that is, mm-hmm. they would give me that injection. And then you could literally watch my stomach just decompress and the fluid would just come pouring out of me. You know whether like I'd have to pee or mm-hmm. or you know sweating just having coming out of my pores even especially the time that I gained seventy pounds of fluid it was just oozing out I mean really wow. creepy but then the stiff person's also causes a lot of basically the muscles stiffen and and become like rock hard and some people will even dislocate ribs or break bones from these muscle spasms. So it's that combination that was really doing a lot of the damage. And it's the reason that some of those palliative care medicines have been very helpful for me.
1: Well, when you summarize Katherine Berger's health journey, which you just walked us through and and you just scratched the surface, I know, because, you know, we have a limited amount of time. But how many surgeries? You said 20. Is it more than that now?
2: Probably. Do you know that I've just stopped counting at some point? Oh, I just, of course. I know I've, you know, I've been through something like 20 central lines, you know, the ports you're talking about, you know, yeah. I've had to have those changed and yeah. and redone. And, and then, of course, several, uh, la- three or f- four laparotomies and then, oh. you know, C-sections and, and sur- the other surgery I had three times and the next surgery and the brain tumor. <laughs>
1: so. Over twelve years, right now, right about twelve yeah. years total. Yeah.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Wow and and now talk about how you're doing now because I get the impression, and you and I haven't discussed this, but I get the impression that and I I, I want to hear about prognosis and how you're doing now, and then I want to switch gears for a few minutes and talk about the the uh, the spiritual journey, is a short way to say it, um, but. Mm-hmm. but But how are you now and what's going on now? And I know about a transplant list you're on. Uh, talk, Talk about all of that, if you would.
2: Sure, sure. So it's funny. I feel like in some ways I'm worse in that, you know, if you were to take a look at my labs and things, I'm obviously starting to accumulate further organ damage simply from relying on this intravenous nutrition, which unfortunately is not really sustainable long term. It's very high in sugar, you know, and then it's also, you know, we're just not supposed to eat through our, our veins. Right, and and right. so it tends to cause problems like sepsis and, and then you slowly lose access to where there's nowhere else to put that line. Um, so I am losing access at this point. I'm starting to have more liver damage, starting to have some kidney problems um, as well from the dehydration, from not having any intestines to absorb fluid. You know, I have to take in a lot of IV fluid, but then I have something called an ostomy or a stoma. Basically, it's like a hole off of my stomach where they just took a little bit of intestines that's left. A, you know, you put a bag on there and just catch the fluid that your body produces mm-hmm. all the time because, you know, you produce bile and things like that. But one of the the biggest positive changes for me is that I can actually eat. And people are always like, what? But, but it does it pretty much goes right through me, so okay, I can't okay. eat a whole lot
1: okay, but but, but hold on. I know I'm asking really insensitive questions here, but you're really okay. good, you're good at answering them. Can you eat whatever you want, or do you have to be really careful? Yes. No way well,
2: well, okay, I say yes, but okay, I can't really it's kind of funny. I mostly can eat things that are bad for me. The more processed or or not so good for <laughs> you, probably the better. Because you have to think, I don't have intestines, so it's just relying on stomach acid to kind of break it down a little and then it just goes right out. It's almost so honestly you get to it's eat, almost like I throw up.
1: You get to eat all um, that stuff my wife won't let me eat. Yes, oh. yes.
2: So you know, I can run by Chick-fil-A and get a bacon, egg and cheese biscuit meat. I need to chew very well, obviously, things Are you like kidding that. I don't me? eat a lot. But yes, I can eat pizza now. I had a bacon cheeseburger recently. And I'm telling you this because I went two years without eating anything. Mm. I was not even allowed to take more than a sip of water here and there. Ugh. So for two years, I will tell you, it will drive you almost insane to not be able to eat or drink.
1: Mm. I had, to, I had to do that for two <laughs> days after my colon surgery. No, I really did. Yeah. I'm, I'm serious. They gave me a little toothpick with a sponge on the end. Have you ever seen those things? Yes, keep, I used to, those. To yeah. keep your mouth from... You know, drying yep. up so much. And I thought when I got a glass of water, and I know people think this is exaggerating. It's not a little paper cup, like like almost like they have at the dentist office or yep. used to have. I thought that is just the best tasting thing I've ever put in my mouth. Ever
2: had? Yeah. Yep.
1: But two years. I
2: mean, two years. I remember posting a picture. I had liquid antibiotics I got to take once, and I was thrilled. To take the liquid antibiotics because it meant there was like two milliliters of liquid I got to have, ah. <laughs> and it had a flavor and I'm sure it was disgusting but to me it just it had a taste and so it was so exciting mm. and so over the last two years since then to go from slowly like you were talking about in the hospital you know there were weeks where I couldn't have anything then I could have ice chips and sponge you know the wet yep. sponge and yep. then I'll never forget. They brought me a piece of a popsicle. And uh, I mean, I think I cried <laughs> and, and then to be able to just, you know, have a glass of water is um, amazing. And, and I try to think about that every time. Yep. I, and I mean that I know every what that time I eat yep. and drink, I, I just think, Oh my God, this is awesome. And I mean, God, thank you because you know you think in the Bible, there's a reason that Jesus ate with his followers he ate with people he fed them um, yep. real food in addition to the spiritual food yep but you know eating and drinking is such a part of life
1: and and, and you're doing what Israel didn't do, which is it, what you're trying to do is remember what God has done
2: yes yes
1: when you think back on those times
2: yes and and the most beautiful thing to me is I now cook dinner for my family. And wow. I couldn't do that because, you know, you know how when you're cooking, you get some butter on your finger, you got to lick your finger. Well, I couldn't lick my finger. So it, it was just so uh, it was just such a mind game to cook before that I very rarely did it. And now that Russell's working and the kids are busy with sports and things, it is so fun to me to get to me. I made enchiladas the other night and, you know, I just I was wow. thrilled because they get to eat something that no offense to Russell, but he kind of, you know, cooks, he cooks guy foods and kind of the same things most yep. of the time. And so, you know, i I've started to cook more and more and he'll help me, you know, from time to time. So I do get tired. Um, but it's it's just wonderful, and I may not be able to eat 10 of them, but I can certainly sit down and, and slowly enjoy one delicious enchilada. <laughs> uh,
1: and, you're, and you're able to drive your kids to things and Campbell and yes. Barrett to things that I they I know they're
2: teachers now. <laughs> I mean, that is they, great. they are homeschooled, but it's a hybrid school, so they go in for, you know, some yep. classes, and, and they've gone to this school for years, but... And I've emailed these teachers and things, but I wasn't even really in a place where I could talk on the phone very often. I know. So now I get to drive them and pick them up, and their teachers call me to tell me how they're doing and check in. And I mean, these are all the things I told my mom. I said, "Just kick me if I ever complain about carpool or dropping them off somewhere, because I love it. You know, (laughs) I am so happy." And your voice help
1: your voice sounds stronger than it did in either of the films. Well, now. thank
2: you. <laughs> thank you.
1: I, I don't think yeah. you were, I don't think back then you could have faked it either. I, I think, no. I think, I, I think you're, uh, I mean, I know you still have lots of issues to deal Speaking of which talk oh, about yeah. you're, you're, you're on a, you're on a <laughs> transplant list now, right?
2: Yes. So other things, because I am having increased, kind of organ damage and, and losing access and getting sepsis, unfortunately, most people who have what I have don't live much longer than I already have. The five years I've been been on TPN is a long time for, for with everything I have going on. So in order to hopefully live longer, I have been uh, evaluated for a transplant and I am on the transplant list for a small and large intestine possibly to have more than that, but hopefully that's all that they will need to do and I can get by with the stomach that I have. If my liver or kidneys continue to worsen, then they will go ahead and, and transplant those at the same time because they do like to use one donor. But it's a lot, so that would be called a multivisceral transplant. But the hard part is, you know, I was looking when, right before you called, I went and grabbed my paperwork on it, and I know that like the one-year survival rate is only about 64%. It's not super high, but, you know, as we had to talk to the kids about this because they did not want me to have it. And we said, look, it's either this or there will come a day where I either get sepsis and it's the last time and I die. Or I slowly starve to death when I can no longer get TPN or total, you know, the nutrition through the IVs. Because even though I'm saying, yes, I can eat, I get zero nutrition from it. Yep. I could eat 10,000 calories a day and I wouldn't absorb a calorie.
1: And the simple way to say so, that is you don't have a colon to absorb the nutrition. Really. Right.
2: Yeah. Right. Right. And, and so, you know, while it's fun and tasty, it doesn't really do anything for me. It's, it's the IV nutrition that does. And mm-hmm. so if they can't get it into my body anymore, then I would literally just die um, slowly. I mean, not that, you know what I mean? Not a pleasant way to go. So, yeah. You know this this is a very uh fairly new surgery there's not a whole lot of them done yearly, uh, especially in adults. but I sort of feel like I will be matched if it's God's plan for me, and if it's not, I just will die at some point before I've ever been matched. I mean, I really feel like he's in control. I'm not real worried about it. It'll either happen or it won't okay, <laughs> and,
1: we we didn't and that's that. We didn't choreograph this conversation, but that's a perfect segue to what I want to talk about for a few minutes, and I know I'm keeping you longer than I told you I would, but but I, I, I'm just wondering if you would go back in your story to where you start having these issues, you get diagnosed with EDS, and, 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 and whether you had been yet or not, when did you, after you really trusted Christ and st- became a Christ follower, let's say it that way, when, when, how was that journey, it, it, it didn't parallel because we're, you know, we're fully integrated people, right? You're dealing with health issues right. and, and you, you clearly have grown spiritually through this time. And I'm sure that's not been easy and it's been, you know, uh, unconventional. I say that, you know, God, God uh, reveals, he communicates with us and reveals his will through his word. So you have that but but you probably starved for Christian fellowship along the way and that kind of thing. Can, yeah. you, can you just walk through the the Catherine and Russell journey in terms of the, your Christ-following journey? Because that part of the story was told so well also in those films, and I, I don't want to leave that out of this discussion.
2: Yes, but I will say, you know, I, it was obviously probably maybe the most noticeable and challenging sort of in spurts at the beginning, you know, like I talk about being so angry with God and asking, you know, what are you saying now to getting sort of maybe a week or two later to, okay, humble me. And then, you know, it it was, and it was kind of quick there. Um, And then I just remember the evidence of his grace coming through mostly in how I was able to handle the stress of it and still be a present. Calm and kind parent, mm-hmm. because prior to that, there were times where I would just feel so overwhelmed. I might snap at one of them, and they were little kids. And I can never. I just. I mean, I can remember the times it happened. Still, every and mother, every stopped. mother
1: of toddlers, maybe every parent, but especially mother, is is relating to what you just said, whether they've had an yes. illness or not.
2: Yes, you know, just those times you just. You know, just somebody's two years old and you're snapping at them. And, you know, it's, it's just not not pretty. It's not what you want to be. It's not what you want to be teaching them or showing them about yourself. And and so I just remember just really diving into a lot of book, Christian books on parenting and, you know, joining um, mothers' Bible studies and things at our church and, and really— growing in that time, sort of in my understanding of the Bible, because I really didn't know much about it. And I should say in 2010, when we first started going to church, we started going to an Episcopal church because that's where, where I had gone with some friends. Russell, and mentioned, near our house.
1: Russell mentioned that to me. Yep.
2: Right. Right. So, uh, you know, no offense to any Episcopalians out there, but, but their beliefs are very different from what we believe now. And so though it certainly served a purpose, it was great. We met so many kind people. We did change, you know, over time to become Baptist. And, and by the time we were in Santa Cruz, we actually landed at a church where, where we met some really good, you know, solid Christians who we could fellowship with. And, and that helped me, I think greatly. And again, Russell was still traveling a lot. So his story is a little bit different. You know, he was gone a lot of weekends. Yep. And so it was me taking the kids to church on my own and, and a little bit of a different look. And then once we kind of moved back to Alabama and my health had gotten really pretty bad, I did go through where I felt so alone because I couldn't attend church. I couldn't make it there, you know, routinely. Right. And for a while we had a, you know, a, a, what, what they called the a missional community and they met at our house and that helped a ton. But then it, we went through about two years where... I was really solo and, and it was hurtful to me. I kind of felt like Russell didn't care enough about my, you know, uh, Mm. fellowship with the Lord or with other believers and, and, and I'm not saying that's true, but that's how I felt, but he was really focused on growing himself and in making sure the kids were able to go to church. Yep. And unfortunately, you know, there weren't a lot of healthy churches in the area, so they would drive pretty far to this other church. And that's why I wasn't able to go. So I did sometimes attend on my own churches that were closer to our house. But but it was sort of this different path. And it wasn't until Russell took in the internship with Capitol Hill Baptist Church in D.C. that I got back in where, you know, again, I still couldn't attend church very much. I was very, very sick. I was in the hospital a lot. But those women there just embraced me. They visited me. That church is just really wonderful at, at reaching out to newcomers, people who only live in D.C. for a little while, and just mm. loving them really well. And it taught me a lot about what it means to give to other people and to receive, <laughs> but but also just really helped me see how I wanted to be able to help others at some point. Mm. And that helped a lot. And then, you know, I think sort of through all, all of that journey and into finding out eventually that I was an intestinal failure, that I would need a transplant. And, and, you know, there was a lot of upsetness and varying degrees of acceptance of the fact that no matter what, it's not likely I will live a long time. Mm-hmm. You know, if, if I live to be 60, I will be amazed <laughs> and I'll be thankful. But that would be a really long time. For, for someone with everything going on that I do. And I think at first that was very difficult. And Of course I think, it was, yeah. Yeah. And now I think it's difficult in a different way. I guess I can say that I feel much more accepting of the fact that God has gotten me through. Like you said, most people who've had septic shock are dead. People who bleed out often die. People who have stomach ruptures mm. often die. I have been through so many times that I should have died and I didn't.
1: Yeah. And, I and firmly human terms, believe, in human terms, you shouldn't be here. Yeah. yeah.
2: Right. So God, God's got me and he is not letting me go until he is ready. And the most beautiful part of that is knowing that the second, I'm going to cry, the second he <laughs> is done with me here, it's because he wants me at home. And so I will go from here to being with him. And what could be a better ending or beginning if you want to look at it a different way than that? I mean, because I can laugh and I can be joyful about so many things, but it is very hard. And, you know, when I say for five years I've had the central line and been dependent on IV nutrition, that means every day I wake up, I prep these bags, I flush my lines, you know, I connect to these, yeah. Pumps and machines. that carry them with me twenty four hours a day. Sleep with them next to me at night. You know, and then now I have this stoma that's high output. I'm dealing with a bag attached to me. It's kind of like wearing a diaper sometimes. It's uncomfortable. It's not pleasant. It's not what you want. It's not what you expect in life. Mm. So I can be grateful for so many things, but then I can also sit here and tell you what I wouldn't give to be able to take a shower, mm. to swim in a pool, to go to the beach. Mm. <laughs> And so sometimes I I could cry over the fact that I can't do those things but then I remember I have done them. God gives me beautiful memories of those things and someday I will be reunited with Him in a place where all of this will mean so much more Mm. and it will all make sense and nothing will hurt. (laughs) There'll be no more sorrow, no more tears, no more death, no more pain or suffering and just Oh, you know, an endless eternity of of being with your Creator, the one who made you, doing what He created you to do, which is to love and glorify Him. Um, Not, you know, whenever that happens, I'm ready.
1: <laughs> okay, well, now you've reduced me to being unable to talk. <laughs> I'm just wondering, just briefly, you must know a lot of Scripture. And you must have spent a lot of time to have that perspective. I mean, I, I I know some people will react negative negatively to what I'm about to say because you haven't experienced this, but and you might not know this truth. But what you just—the joy that you have—and and yet you're still entirely human and and entitled to cry all you want. But that joy, that eternal look, that 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 beautiful peace that you have only comes from God. And for you to know that, and, and everything you just said there at the end, you were quoting scripture, it mm-hmm. indicates to me, you've spent a lot of time in God's word. And talk about that for a minute. That That is your source of strength, clearly.
2: Yes. Yes. I mean, I. it's funny. I, I remember very early on, maybe 2013, Russell brought me this little journal from a trip he went on. He was in Jordan, I think. And I I would write, you know, scripture in it, verses that stood out. And then after a while, it's like I was just rewriting the Bible. (laughs) Because I think the more you read it, the more, you know, if you're somebody who highlights, for example, the more of it gets highlighted or underlined or starred. And then you realize, oh, yeah, it's the Bible. So probably every word (laughs) is kind of inspiring and important. Yeah. And and it's funny because, you know, you, you may have certain verses that mean more to you at a certain time, but I kind of feel like now every single word, you know, obviously applies to all of us mm-hmm. and, and to, to every situation. And and so now, you know, I kind of laugh because sometimes I do, I end up just writing down a book. Um, but I, I do like to write and I like to journal. Um, and I think that's, Helpful uh, for me, and I was actually reading this morning and it's doing a little Bible study. And um, Charles Spurgeon, and he said, um, "This is how to deal with God: praise Him before you are delivered, praise Him for what is coming, adore Him for what He is going to do." Mm. And I just thought, "That's it." I mean, it's it's so perfect, you know. And and to be able to love Him. And, you know, adore him despite what's happening because you know that in the end, he has your best interests at heart Yeah, and everything will be made good. Mm. And I just hold on to that. And I just know that there's been so many times in my life that I thought, you know, this is the worst thing that's ever happened or, you know, I can't believe this. And it always turns out so much sweeter on the other side. Mm. And I truly believe he can redeem any situation, any trial that we're going through, and turn it into something that that is good. And, you know, when yesterday, one of the kids, I won't even say which one, but a teacher called about one of my children to say how sweet they were at school and how quick they were to help other people. And I just thought, that's because that's what they do for me at home. Mm. And they have learned to love and look for the the times people are kind of flagging, whether that's physically draining, you know, or they're emotionally drained. And they know when to come and help me with something, whether it's, you know, sitting with me while I'm cooking and just cheering me up by talking or whether it's helping out, you know, around the house. They, they're, they're just such good kids. And I feel like so much of that, it's such a gift. It's nothing that we've done. Mm-hmm. It's God working through this and just blessing us with something so beautiful.
1: Well, to hear you say that is really just powerful because we know, you and I know, and lots of people in this audience know that the world is created for God's glory. And and that that can be hard for us to see at times. I'm wondering just in closing here, I've got, I've got really just a couple of, I'd like to do this for another hour, but I feel guilty. (laughs) I feel guilty taking every, every minute that we're, we're taking because I, I I know your, your health issues are serious and I'm thankful that you took the time to do this. I hope we can do it again sometime. And I, I, but I want to ask you this, what can we do for you is praying for you, uh, praying for, God's plan for you to unfold with respect to these transplants. Is that what you'd have us do?
2: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely.
1: Yeah. Any, I would say any, that's anything it. Anything else come to mind?
2: And just praying for, you know, Russell and the kids that whatever happens, that, that they would remember that, that God is good. And, you know, at some point it is most likely they will lose me, but I hope that in, in doing that, when that happens, that God gets in something so much more beautiful mm. in return. Mm.
1: And what about, hey, you did it to me again. <laughs> what what about people I know who, and it seems like I know a lot of them right now, who are either grieving loss or they're struggling. They're struggling to have that perspective that you have while they deal with Serious illness, and I know a bunch of them right now who who struggle to believe God is good, um, and who struggle with that thing. I think you and I talked about before we went on. That was, you know, how can God be all powerful and and all loving and allow right. allow this to happen? How, how, what are your thoughts, just quickly on <laughs> that's unfair, isn't it? What are your thoughts, real quickly on that topic? Yeah. But but
2: what's well, funny. I always I always think of lamentations, you know, who has spoken and it came to pass unless the Lord commanded it. Is it not from the mouth of the Most High that good and bad come? Why should a living man complain, a man, about the punishment of his sins? And so I think, on the one hand, it's remembering that we're not really deserving of all this wonderful good stuff the world says that we all deserve. You know, follow your heart, do right. everything that makes you happy. Right, right. We're not... We don't really deserve that. And so the good things we get are that much sweeter because God's giving them to us anyway, because He loves us, because He's our Father. And mm-hmm. because like a good parent, He wants to give us good gifts. And I think that's important to remember. And then I still think of um, the other thing that was a big turning point when I was sick. I just remember crying one night, being really upset, and reading First Peter Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God. Mm. And I don't know if you know, but so that in the proper time, he may exalt you. And then he says, casting all your anxieties upon him. Oh, yeah. Because he cares for you. And I remember it hit me like, oh, okay. I'm supposed to really just give all this worry to him every time it hits me. Mm -hmm. Just say, God, I'm stressed about this. I'm sorry. You know, what do I just take it? Just take it. And I feel like he will do that because he does care for us and then it even says you know and after you've suffered a little while the god of all grace who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ will himself restore confirm strengthen and establish you mm. and it's just knowing that it's that intimate relationship between you and god he loves you he called you to himself in his eternal glory in christ he Mm. did that because he loves you and cares for you and all he's saying is just give me your worries just just cast them all on me i'll take care of it Mm. and we all see eventually i think in life that things are going to happen the way they're going to happen for the most part and a lot of it is about our perception so just having that heart of gratitude i think makes makes a big impact too
1: yeah, Catherine, you're a, you're a blessing. It's really an honor to have you here. Uh, I, I, I don't know. Um, I I don't know what to say at this point. I'm I'm grateful for you. I'm, I, you tell your story so well. Uh, Russell was a blessing as well, but the person who has gone through it and has this perspective, uh, and again, it is your family that has gone through it, but your perspective is is one that is so informed by biblical principles, by by knowing God, and not just knowing who he is in an academic way, but knowing him. And uh, we will pray for you, and I would just...
2: Thank you so much.
1: Oh, my goodness. We have been in our house, and we will continue to, and I would urge this audience to pray for Catherine. Uh, God is able... To heal, he's able to get glory uh, as he ch- as he sees fit, and we're we're going to pray right. for your healing. We're going to pray for this surgery that, that you that his will is done, and, and that if that includes getting this transplant, that he blesses you with no more septic shock and, and uh, a, a good, good, good recovery. You need to live the rest of those. If it is sixty years, live them well, uh, God willing. So,
2: thank you so much, well, and thank you for having me. I really appreciate oh it. Oh my it's goodness, it's been great to talk to you.
1: Oh, you're you're a rich blessing. So, folks, I hope you'll you'll uh, go to the website to uh, share this episode with with your friends. This has been a special time. Please like, share, and review. Subscribe to Relentless Truth. You can find us wherever you get your podcasts, or at John Warren Media. It is good to be with you, and I look forward to uh, being with you next time.
0: Thanks for listening to Relentless Truth with John Warren. Please consider sharing this podcast and subscribe to receive future episodes. Connect with John regarding your comments, questions, and show ideas through johnwarrenmedia.com or at johnwarrenmedia on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. That's all for this episode. Join us next week for another edition of Relentless Truth with John Warren.